it's really good to be here with all of you, and it's my first time to Christendom, and you guys are so blessed. Uh, what a beautiful campus you have here, and um, you look like Ryan Gosling. Uh, <laughs> okay, I... <laughs> sorry. It just... Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> sorry to embarrass you, but you're just sitting right there. Okay. Um. <laughs> and that's how the talk's going to go tonight, guys. All right. So... <laughs> Anyway, um, so yeah, so I do live in Texas uh, with my husband, Doug, and our eight children, and uh, I tell people we became uh, pro-life and we couldn't stop breeding, but um, the truth is, is that we became Catholic and couldn't stop breeding, so, you know, I uh, got to be open to life, so uh, I'm sure a lot of you come from families with a lot of kids, right? How many people have or one of eight or more. Oh my God! <laughs> like everybody! <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. I feel like I need to be careful what I say up here because I feel like this thing right here in the middle is a trap door. So, like, if I <laughs> walk too close to it, I'm just gonna fall right through the thing. Anyway. Um. <laughs> anyway. Um, this has been fun so far. <laughs> I'm never going to be invited back. Um, no, so honestly, so I, I want to talk to you guys a little bit tonight, but, but really what I want to do is, um, I really want to hear from all of you too. So my favorite thing ever is, uh, talking to young people and I also like answering questions from young people because I feel like. If anybody is going to make abortion unthinkable in our country, if anybody is going to actually make the difference in our country with making abortion illegal, making abortion unthinkable, really changing the dynamic, changing the culture culture in our society, it's going to be you guys. And um, and so I and and right now we are on the brink of a huge cultural change, right? So. I worked for uh, Planned Parenthood for eight years, as you know, and one thing I can say is that when I left Planned Parenthood 12 years ago, I started working there 20 years ago, which makes me sound ancient, um, when I left there 12 years ago, one thing that they were very, very sure of was that Roe v. Wade was going nowhere, and that was sort of the conversation that that we had there. You know, I worked in public affairs for Planned Parenthood. I worked in the political arm of Planned Parenthood um, for some time. And that was the that was the consensus at Planned Parenthood. That was the consensus at the National Abortion Federation, um, at the National Organization for Women. All of these groups, you know, they're they sort of similarly said abortion is going nowhere federally because Roe v. Wade is going nowhere. And now we look just 12 years down the road, and Roe is hanging on by a thread. And I believe that, you know, in the next, it could, it could come tomorrow. The decision could come anytime. You know, everybody says, oh, it's going to come in June, but it could come much sooner than that. Um, you know, we're waiting now for a decision from the Supreme Court 
that could essentially overturn Roe and bring this back to the states. And, you know, I believe that that has happened, of course, because of all the hard work that's been done, you know, by many people in this room, um, you know, people older than myself, people that have been working on this issue longer than I've even been alive. Um, and of course, you know, we, we are so thankful for their dedication. But I believe one of the reasons that that has happened, that this, that this has moved so quickly in the past 12 years, has been because of people like you. It's been because of your generation. It's been because when I say to you, what's the first picture you have of yourself? You say, oh, I have a picture of myself on an ultrasound, right? When I say, <laughs> you know, you, ha you all have tw 10 siblings. And so when I say, oh, have you seen a picture of a baby in the womb? You say, oh, yeah. I saw my brother and sister on an ultrasound, right? And so it's people like you, it's your generation, that you can look at a baby on the ultrasound and say, oh, that's the same baby that I'm looking at right now, and it's my brother, and you recognize that that science doesn't change. And so you are not the generation of people who right now are out there like my age and people that are older that are now trying to regress science, right? That's not you, that's not your generation. People that are my age and older are now actually trying to make science regressive by saying things like, um, you know, uh, that, that thing that you hear when we put that uh, jelly on your stomach and that ultrasound thing, you know that, like that thing that you hear on the monitor that we've been telling you is a heartbeat for the past five decades, oh, that's not a heartbeat. It's, it's electrical pulses. So it's not a heartbeat. I mean, it, it's coming from a heart. but it's not a heartbeat, it's something else. And it's these same scientists who are regressing the science and they're saying, oh, um, even though every embryology textbook on the planet will tell you that, um, that life begins at the moment that egg and sperm meet, that's actually not true. But see, you guys know better. And your generation knows better. In fact, all of the studies show that it is your generation and the people younger than you that are most affected by the logical arguments against abortion. Because it just makes sense to you. So if they're, I mean, the most pro-choice group of people right now in the country are menopausal women who can't have children. Or post-menopausal women who can't have children. And so that should tell you something right now. That should tell you something right there. You guys have 
an incredible influence on our current culture. Because you are the ones having the babies or will have the babies. You are the ones making the decisions about the future generations that will be coming. And honestly, when you graduate from college and you go on to, your, to do whatever it is that you're gonna do, you are the ones that will be voting for the people who will be making those changes or maybe you will be the ones making those changes. And so you are the influencers today that matter. What happens, a lot of people are talking right now about, you know, what happens if, if Roe goes away? I mean, what, what is at stake? So most of you probably know, because you're all super smart, um, most of you probably know that um, if Roe goes away, then it turns into a state-by-state -state battle, right? You know that. So it doesn't mean that you know, Roe is overturned. Roe could be, the, the Supreme Court could come back and say tomorrow, okay, uh, we've decided that Roe is overturned. And I do believe that's what's going to happen. So I don't know, how many of you listened to the arguments, the, the Dobbs arguments? For shame. <laughs> anyway, just kidding. <gasps> but you should have listened. Um, anyway, the Dobbs arguments were interesting because, um, you know, Roe v. Wade was essentially decided on a right to what? Privacy. So, um, not any political science majors in here. Okay. Um, it was decided on a right to privacy. So, uh, which is interesting because um, the... Biden solicitors uh, were making all kinds of uh, arguments for why Roe should remain the law of the land right now. But they weren't making an argument based on the right to privacy. They were making an argument based on the right to someone to something else. Does anybody know what that was? It's the right to liberty. So they were saying, um, well, uh, you know, well, the reason that abortion needs to remain the law of the land today is for the right to liberty and the right to freedom. But that's not at all why abortion is now allowed in our country. It was based on the right to privacy. So finally, when Justice Thomas gets his opportunity, which was oh so beautiful, he finally speaks up and he makes this point. And he says, well, wait a minute. I thought that abortion was about a right to privacy. So what is it? Is it about a right to privacy? Is it about a right to freedom? Is it about a right to liberty? And she very clearly said, it is about a right to liberty, which is about something altogether all different, right? Biden solicitors did a very poor job, like we thought they would, 
they did a very, very poor job of fighting for a constitutional right to abortion because in the end, there is no constitutional right to abortion. Okay? The Mississippi solicitors did a very good job of deconstructing the fact that there is no constitutional right to abortion. So I think that the justices, if they are honest, would have a very difficult time of coming back and finding this constitutional right to abortion. So I don't think that they will. So what does that mean? Right now, it means that about half of the states in our country, if Roe is overturned, will make abortion illegal. They will do that based on what is called trigger bans that are already in place at the state level. So like my state of Texas has a trigger ban called the Human Life Protection Act. So when Roe is overturned, there's already legislation in place that makes abortion illegal, okay? Or they will do it through state constitutional amendments that are already on the books, that are already in place. Some of those back from the 1800s, okay? Those will then go into effect. But about half of the states in the United States, abortion will be illegal. So what does that mean? One of the things that we need to understand from, I've sort of talked about the politics of it, but one of the things that we need to understand is as Catholics, as, as Christians, as people of faith, abortion is a sacrament to the left. Abortion is not just a medical procedure. It's not just... They talk about it being health care, but that's, that's actually not what it is to them. Abortion is a sacrament because abortion at its very core is demonic. It is evil. It is child sacrifice. So for those of us that have read the Old Testament, we read the Old Testament, we, we read about child sacrifice, right? We read about Baal. We read about Molech. This is the same thing happening today. We just call it something more palatable. We call it reproductive justice. We call it choice. But in the end, it's the root is the same thing. So when you start removing that, when you start removing that child sacrifice, when you start removing that sacrament of abortion, I think we all need to understand that the spiritual warfare that we have been up against so far is going to increase astronomically by rates that we have probably never experienced before. So what does that mean for, for us? Well, honestly, it means that we need to start preparing ourselves right now. It means that we need to start praying right now. It means that we need to start praying specifically against spiritual warfare. And I know you guys are young, so you're like, I'm busy. 
I'm writing my thesis. I got stuff to do. I got plans. But here's the reality. You know, we pray the St. Michael prayer. We, we talk about spiritual warfare. We talk about um, how we are warring with demons, right? We talk about how um, Satan is prowling around on this earth, right? I mean, think about the prayers that we pray. They're intense, right? Think about that prayer specifically. Our prayer is intense. Prowling about, like seeking to destroy souls. See, Satan's sort of done with me. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't have spiritual warfare in my life. I'm not saying that. That's not true. But, like, he's sort of over it with me. Like, he's had his fun with me, and we had a good time, and he's sort of done. You see, he's not coming for me anymore. These demons, they're not coming for me anymore. They're done with me. They're coming for you. They're coming for your young mind. They're coming for your young hearts. And where they prey on you the most is your hearts of compassion. And I know that because that's exactly how I got misled. The enemy preys many times on the goodness that's inside of our souls. And then the enemy perverts that. I, I know that many of you in here, the majority of you in here, you're good, compassionate people, and you care about others, and you, you care about the goodness of others. And so this is how it happens. You see the world out there, and you see these things happening out there, and you say, I want to fix that. I want to be a part of fixing that. I want to be a part of, of the solution to that. I want to be the change, right? That's what people's Instagram say. <laughs> and so you leave here that's very protected. You're very protected here. Right? I mean, we got Mary right here. And you leave this safety net. 
and you go on, and now you're really in the world. And you're confronted with this very big world, and you're confronted with people that are different than the people sitting around you today. People who are full of faith. People who are like you. And they have a whole different set of values and a whole different set of life issues and a whole different set of experiences. And you're real sure of where you are right now. You're really sure of who you are. You're really sure of your values right now. But now all of a sudden the guy that sits next to you is different than you in your cubicle. And he says, but I just want to love my partner. And love is love. And you meet his partner at the Christmas dinner, and he seems super nice. And they seem super in love. And he says to you, I mean, how can you tell me that this isn't real love? And you're like, I don't know, maybe that is me. Maybe I shouldn't tell him anything. Maybe I, sh maybe I should just let go of that. <laughs> maybe that's not compassionate. Maybe what I learned is wrong. You know, maybe the church is wrong on that. Or you meet a girl one day at work, and she already has four kids, and she's super struggling, and she's a single mom. And she got date raped. And she's like, I just can't, I just cannot have this baby. I don't even know the dad. And you know what? For my other kids, for the sake of them, I just, I cannot have this baby. And I'm so early anyway. I, like, I'm only like four weeks pregnant. And I'm just going to take these pills at home. And it's like not even a baby yet. And I need to do this to protect my other kids. And you're like, I mean, I read an article, it's not even a heartbeat yet. It's just electrical pulses from a heart. <laughs> so it's fine. Because it's compassionate to protect her other kids. The enemy will use your compassion and abuse your compassion. And I was not a theology major. And I don't have a degree in theology. And I don't know, I can't, I don't have all the books of the Bible memorized or anything like that. I'm not like a super preacher or anything, but I couldn't be one even if I wanted to. But I know from my own personal experience 
that sin slips into your life one tiny little compromise at a time. One tiny little lie, one tiny little rationalization at a time. I know that I didn't go to bed one night, this good Christian kid, and wake up the next morning running an abortion clinic. I know that it actually happened just a little bit at a time. None of you would ever think, one day I'm going to run an abortion clinic, but it could actually happen to any of you. Because I was actually just like all of you. I grew up in church. I mean... I was just like you. But over time, over a, a, a time of compromises, over a time of misguided compassion, I ended up running an abortion clinic. And that, those compromises, those little lies that crept into my life, that led me to a life where I have had two abortions, I've killed two of my own children, and I have helped to facilitate 22,000 abortions. But it didn't happen overnight. It actually started young, it started, um, really right before I went to college, it started with just a choices involving immodesty, immodesty in language, immodesty in behavior, immodesty in dress. And that turned into a breeding ground for attention-seeking behaviors from guys. It turned into promiscuous behavior, which then led to my first unplanned pregnancy which then just led to a, a, a spiral of poor decision-making. The good news, though, is this. If you are on that path, and, and I'm, not, I'm not dumb enough or naive enough to think that, <laughs> that all of you are the, these, like, chase little angels in here. If you are on that path, if you are living a life of compromise, you can always turn that around. And I wish I would have. Because I want to tell you something, guys. You don't want this story. You don't. You don't want. Um, you don't want to be forty-one years old and standing in front of a group of young people and telling them that you have killed two of your children. That's not the story you want. 
you don't want the story like mine, where you have helped to, where you've helped 22,000 women kill their babies. That's not your story. That's not the life you want. That's not the regret you want. That's not the burden you want to carry. The story you want is that you stayed true to the teachings of Christ. The story you want is that even though it was hard, even though you may have screwed up along the way, you always turned it around and you always turned back to Christ. That's the story you want to tell. Not this one. And you can do that. That's good news. That's good news about God. That's the good news about his mercy. It's amazing. It's honestly scandalous. The amount of grace that he gives us. It doesn't make any sense. But it's here for us anyway. So I want to, um, in these last few minutes, I want to open up the floor for all of you. Any question you have, nothing is off limits. Anything's off on the table. Anything you want to ask me, feel free. Thank you very much. Uh, so we're going to try to do, you guys are too young to know who killed Donna Hughes, but if we can kind of line up here in the <laughs> middle for questions, um, we'll try to go as far as we can, but we also do have to put a cap on the other end of it. So if you have a question, come in the middle, I'll hand you the mic and you can go from there. Um, thank you, Abby. That was amazing. Um, so I know a lot of people feel like it's really hard to do, like, like, take actual affirmative action against abortion, like, feel kind of trapped in our circles, what is something you think young people could do that maybe they're not already doing to be more proactive against abortion? Yeah. Um, good question. So, <clears throat> you know, 54% of abortions right now are taking place at home. So, more than half of abortions are not taking place at abortion facilities. So, that is not to say that we do not need to be going out to abortion facilities. Of course we do. And I know that Shield of Roses, how many of you are in Shield of Roses? Awesome. More of you should be in Shield of Roses. Um, so I know that you guys are going out to the abortion clinics. Amazing. And that's a, a huge part of what we need to be doing in the abortion, uh, in the pro-life movement. We need to be going out to where, you know, half of the abortions are taking place. But the reality is that now in this technology world that we live in, a little more than half are taking place at home. Um, and so, you know, we have to get sort of creative. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that I always encourage young people to do, because, um, you know, a lot of you are like on TikTok and things like that. I try to be. I'm really bad at it and I embarrass my daughter. Um, <laughs> is, um, you know, we need to be actively searching for women who are in crisis pregnancy. So one of the 
sort of interesting things is that like nobody has a filter anymore. So when people are in crisis pregnancies, like they post about it, right? And they're like, I'm oh, gonna go thinking about having an abortion or you know whatever. They like post about this online. They post about it in moms groups. They post about it, you know, in groups on Facebook or you know they post about it on Instagram or whatever. And one of the things that has been happening, especially recently, is that you know I run a crisis line. I run a case management program called Loveline. And if you don't know about Loveline, you should. It's just loveline.com. We're a 24-hour case management hotline for any woman, any single parent, anybody who's in crisis, victims of domestic violence. You don't even have to be pregnant to get help with us. Any crisis, anywhere, anytime, we run a case management um, hotline for that. And so um, if you ever know anyone who's in crisis, if you ever, I mean, like you could be anywhere at a restaurant and the waitress is like freaking out about something, you can be like, oh, go to loveline.com. We'll help you. Um, and so, and that happens all the time. Um, so one of the things that people, pro-lifers have been doing, particularly young people, they've been searching for those posts. They've been getting inside of those moms groups, those parenting groups, and they are actively looking for, they're like searching abortion, you know, searching posts like that, you know, pregnant, um, and they're posting our, they're tagging us in those posts and saying, hey, Abby Johnson runs a ministry called Loveline. They would love to help you. You know, you don't have to have an abortion. And you'd be amazed at how many of those women are calling us and saying, you know, I'm considering an abortion. Can you help me? Because we pay moms rent. We'll, rent. we'll buy them a car. We'll pay their utilities. Anything they need in order to prevent them from having an abortion, we'll do it. And a lot of times, you know, 75% of women having abortions are doing so because of financial constraints. So if we can lift that financial constraint, the majority of time, times they won't have an abortion. And so that's what our ministry does. And so that's one of the ways that I encourage young people to really get involved is to actively be looking for those posts online, to be actively tagging your local pregnancy center or a love line or whatever, and letting women know that there is another option. You're welcome. Hi. Um, Hi. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, I've followed your work for a while now, and I'm a very big fan. Um, but I was wondering, what is the most difficult pro-choice argument you've ever had to refute, and how would you refute it? What's your What's the one you've heard that's been most difficult? Um, probably the one where women are like, I know it's a baby, you know, I know that there's a baby there, but I don't care, my job's more important. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that's probably the most difficult, too, is, like, when they're just like, oh, I know it's a baby. Like, I, I know it's a baby, and I don't care. Um, I know it's a baby. I'm killing it anyway. Um, usually in those situations, I, yeah, that probably is the most difficult. Um, I mean, what do you think? You think that's probably the most difficult? Um, yeah, and that's, that is difficult because... Um, that's just really a callousness there in their own heart. And there's not a lot of things in those situations that we can say that, I mean, a lot of times that's just like, Holy Spirit, activate. You know, like, I mean, um, a lot of times there's just not a lot we can, we can say. One of, the, one of the things I do use, though, in those situations is to try to show them how important their life is. Because I, I'm just going to get really honest with you guys, because I haven't been up until now. Um, <laughs> is women nowadays, and I've noticed this over the past 10 years, as 
abortion activists have become a lot more brazen um, as the availability of the abortion pill has increased. Um, this whole idea that women are choosing abortion because they're so distraught and it's so hard for women to make a decision to have an abortion. That's just really not the case anymore. I mean, I don't know if y'all saw it. But I mean, women, there was a woman that literally took an abortion pill on national TV a few weeks ago. Um, at, at the Dobbs case, I was there um, on the steps of the Supreme Court. There were women taking abortion pills on national TV. Um, you know, women are now accessing abortion pills and keeping them in their when they're not even pregnant, they're just keeping them in their medicine cabinet just in case they get pregnant. We don't live in times anymore where abortion is such a difficult decision for women to make and they're just agonizing over it anymore. That's just not, that's just not the reality anymore. I mean, women are very brazen about their abortion decision. They're very proud of the fact they've had abortions. We're now living in times where it is not uncommon for women to have three to 10 abortions um, abortion is actively a form of birth control for women, whereas just 15 years ago it was not that it was not that way, but it is now, and I think that just shows the overall callousness of our society. Um, so, um, I think, I, and I, I think it's just selfishness. I mean, women generally have abortions because of selfish reasons. Um, and nobody really wants to say that, but, I mean, that's just the truth. Um, women have abortions because of selfishness. They, I mean, I did. That's why I had my abortions. I was being selfish. Um, and so I think we have to face that reality, and I think we have to understand that reality. I think we have to be honest about it. So when I'm talking to a woman who says to me, you know, well, I mean, yeah, it's a baby. I don't care. Um where I think we're gonna hear more and more of that. I usually talk to her then about herself. I, I say, you know, okay, well, okay, but have you thought about how abortion's going to affect you? Have you thought about the damage, the potential damage that abortion could do to your body? Um, so let's not think about the baby. Obviously, don't care about the baby. Let's not think about the, let's not think about the baby. I mean, you're doing this for yourself, right? So let's talk about you. Um, have you thought about the damage this could cause? Have you thought about the fact that women who have abortions have an increased risk of breast cancer? Um, have you thought about um, the fact that many women who have abortions, they perforate their uterus? I mean, maybe you wanna have babies in the future. You may not be able to. Um, we have a website actually that's called checkmyclinic.org and we have a list of all of the public inspection reports from around the country um, of failed inspection reports of these abortion facilities. So a lot of times I'm like, where are you going to get an abortion? Let me look up their inspection report. So I can show them, like, they're not even sterilizing their instruments. You're gonna allow this clinic to put dirty instruments inside your body, like disgusting. Like, don't you value yourself more than that? Don't you value your body more than that? Like, don't even think about the baby. Like, let's think about you. Like, what is this doing to you? Um, and then, honestly, I just pray for them. And it's just a situation where, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't stop myself from talking about their baby at all. Like, I don't stop myself from still humanizing their baby, talking about their baby, because their baby is still truly the primary innocent victim here. There's a baby boy. 
Um, but uh, I, but I, I primarily talk about them in that situation, and then just pray for the Holy Spirit to do the thing. Hi, Mrs. Johnson. Thank you so much Hi. for coming out to talk tonight. Yeah. So this question actually started a few hours ago when I was doing my homework for a seminar I'm in about problems related to postmodernity. And in the book chapter that I was reading, the author was talking about problems that we have in our culture today with the way that we dialogue with people because liberalism has created this mindset that things become very much related to personal autonomy. And yeah. the more that I think about things that I've been learning in my bioethics class and in my time here, I'm realizing the problems that we have even with the mindsets of abortion and birth control go far deeper than we realize to the culture's pushing of a certain understanding of autonomy and rights based on autonomy and a difference in understanding of the person. And I'm concerned that while it's great if Dobbs comes through and Roe versus Wade is overturned, I'm afraid that's just going to be a band-aid on the problem because looking at the media's coverage of it, there's still very much an argument for abortion, birth control are still okay because my rights are important and it's my rights. And what struck me most in this chapter I was reading was the author was saying how we can't keep talking past each other because if pro-abortion advocate is coming for perspective of, well, I have the right to do what I want with my life, even if you're using their rights language, which we see very often trying to focus on your autonomy, which sometimes is a tactic to go, it doesn't build the true conversion of hearts. That's the concern that I have as a Catholic going out into the world. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on what can we do to address those deeper issues of an understanding of a person, understanding of autonomy that could perhaps go even further in bettering the problem, not bettering the problems, in solving the problems that we have in our culture's mindset that will be even further than what nine justices on the Supreme Court do. Yeah, you're like real smart, huh? <laughs> Dean's list every semester. Um, <laughs> if I had a trophy, I'd give it to you. Uh, I'll give you my used Pepsi instead if you want it. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> that's like a super good question. <laughs> like the best question. Um, so, yeah, I also have that concern. You know, I think there's a, t a Gosling, do you want to answer that? Or <laughs> Okay. I just wanted to see if you want to take a crack at it. Um, <laughs> um I it's it's a really good question. It's it's actually a a, a very um honest concern. We know that, I think there's been for a long time, there's been a, a, a debate whether, you know, politics is downstream of culture, or culture is downstream of politics. I, um, where are you so I can look at your face? Okay, right there, okay. Um, I think, I, I'm not sure that it's an either or. I think it's a both. Um, you know, there were a lot of women that would come into our facility and they would say, um, I've always thought abortion was wrong, but it's legal, so it must be okay. Um, I think that we're at a time right now where there is so much division in our 
in our in our country in our society. I think we do have to be concerned about um, talking over people. I think we do have to be concerned about dehumanizing people and uh, people that disagree with us. Um, I think we do have to be concerned as pro-lifers that we don't fall into that cycle um, because then we essentially start doing to our opposition what we accuse them of doing to the unborn, right? Um, and that's, that's dangerous, so we don't want to do that. Um, I think that that you know conversion definitely is best had and definitely comes when we you know with one-on-one -on -one conversation um and I, I think that's truly just in my work that's that's generally where we see it happen but i i think the way i would probably answer that question is I think that we have a very good example set for us um, through through Christ. That sounds super Sunday schoolish, but it's true. Um, when we when we when we read our Bible, which we do as Catholics, um, contrary to popular belief, um, when we read our Bible and we look at conversations with Christ, um, people when we read those, a lot of times people would ask Jesus a question and he would respond how? With a question. And so I feel like a lot of, a lot of times in our society, particularly with people who are opposed to our beliefs, a lot of times um, people will come at us and you know we're saying like, oh, I'm pro-life or you know, whatever it may be or whether it's about legislation or whatever it is. And they come at us in a very angry way, and then our, you know, we become defensive, and we're like, "Ah, stop killing babies," you know, whatever. And um, instead of using it as a moment to seek out conversion for that person, and and looking at eternal conversion as well, right? So um, I think that a lot of times, you know, when somebody comes at me like that, and I, I'm not the best at doing this, trust me, I'm on social media too. Um, but I think a lot of times when people, you know, come at us like that, the best way to to respond to them, instead of immediately going like to the political way or whatever, is to say, um, "Why do you support abortion? What you know? What what drew you to the conclusion that abortion is acceptable?" And to sort of start asking these open-ended questions. Because what I find most often is that people who support abortion have a story. Most of us have a story for why we don't support abortion or why we do support abortion or whatever. But almost always people who do support abortion have a story. And a lot of times it is that they themselves have had an abortion. Or they know someone who has had an abortion. Or their mom had an abortion. Someone in their life has had an abortion. They drove someone to the abortion clinic. Someone in their life was raped and had an abortion. It's usually a, a difficult story for them to share. And I feel like if we start asking questions, we can oftentimes get to a hurt in their life that they're experiencing. And it's at that moment when we can uncover a hurt that we can talk to them about 
how to heal that hurt. And that's really what Christ wants for all of us, is to be healed from our hurts. And once we can get to that, and I'm not saying it's going to happen in one conversation, okay? And I'm not saying it's going to happen in an Instagram feed, okay? I'm just saying that, I mean, I, I have a great example of this. I had a woman, I had a girl, she was 18, she came at me real hard in my uh, Instagram messages and was like, you're an idiot, bleepity bleep, um, you're a traitor to women, bleep bleep, and I hate you, bleep. And I was like, okay. Um, and I was like, so you obviously support abortion, and, <laughs> um, and I was like, um, I was like, you're 18. I was like, uh, how long have you supported abortion? And we started talking, and it turns out that the previous year she had had an abortion. And we started talking. Now she's sending me all these articles about how terrible abortion is. That took place over a week of dialoguing back and forth. But it started with a question. And now, the last conversation I had with her, this is like, we've been talking for like six months now. Now, she's like asking me how she volunteers at a pregnancy center. So, the process can be long, it can take time, but if we really truly care about the, the infinite dignity and worth of, of people, then that time matters. And that time is an investment that we should be willing to make in people. Thank you so much for your speech. I really enjoyed it. Really appreciated your time here. So I kind of have a two-part question. My first question is, um, so what would you recommend for somebody who is around a lot of non-Catholics who are very, who definitely have no qualms about sharing that they do not believe the same thing as we do, and you find out that one of them is expecting and may or may not have an abortion, if you don't have a relationship with them, how do you sit down and have a conversation with them? My second part is, um, what is the difference between pro-choice... Okay, hold on. Let me can answer okay. that first, because I'll forget. Sure. <laughs> um, so first of all, I think the most important thing that we do when somebody tells us that they're pregnant is that we celebrate. And we celebrate, like, big. You know? That we're like, oh, congratulations! You know? Like, I'm so excited for you! Like, I think that's... No matter the situation, like, no matter if they, like, no matter if it's, like, our arch nemesis. Like, if somebody comes up, I don't care if they're 15 years old and they're unmarried and it's a terrible situation. If somebody comes up to me and they're, like, I'm pregnant, I'm, like, congratulations. You got a baby. Like, I'm excited for them, right? Like, I want to celebrate that with them. Even if they're coming to me and they're, like, I'm pregnant. I'm like, congratulations. Like, this is exciting, right? So that, that's one thing. But I think that humanizing someone's child um, is a really, really important first step of helping them understand the dignity of their child in the womb. And, um, and helping them understand that we see the value of their child even if they don't is a really, really important step. Um, 
And then they may be like, oh, no, I was considering having an abortion. And then it's like, what? Why? What? Wait, why would you do that? Like, I support you. I like I have friends that can that can support you. Why why are you considering an abortion? And again, asking that question, like what what's going on? Like tell me what's going on in your life. Why would you do that? Let me help you. What support do you need? What is that answering your question? Okay, good. Okay, second question, go. Um, what is the difference between pro life and pro choice and what is the lie behind pro choice? I mean, so some people in here maybe disagree with me because you're a bunch of Catholics, but um, for me, uh, pro-life is two very simple things. Being pro-life is being against uh, abortion and being against euthanasia. So, and that's it. So... There's a lot of people who want to throw like everything under the sun into the pro-life ship. So they're like, oh, well, I'm against the death penalty. That's pro-life too. Or, oh, well, I'm against GMOs. That's a pro-life issue. Or <laughs> Monsanto. Or, you know, they're like, I'm, you know, against brown shoes being mixed with a black belt. That's a pro-life issue. I mean, like, you know, they're like anything. You know, they're like, throw it in. You know, the pro-life wagon. You know, I, I think that's very dangerous. I think it weighs our ship down. And then we tump over, you know. Um, I think it's really, really important for the pro-life movement to be focused on the things that intentionally disrupt the continuum of life, and and that is uh, innocent life, and that's two things, euthanasia and abortion, and um, euthanasia is not a, a super intense problem we have right now in the United States, but it is coming. It's already here, and it's it's about to get more and more intense. So in the state of Oregon, uh, for instance, in 2020, they gave out over 3,000 euthanasia pills to kill people just in one year. So it's growing. More and more states are signing on to, uh, to these euthanasia laws. Uh, New Mexico has just uh, recently uh, passed a, a very broad... Um, generalized euthanasia bill that will allow people who are not even terminally ill to kill themselves. So now we're looking at sort of euthanasia tourism like they have in Sweden, uh, where you know you can literally just walk in and there's like no waiting period. So you can just literally walk in and say, I'm having a bad day, I wanna kill myself. And they will, and they will do it. And so I agree. I'm with you. So, and they're, they're doing, I mean, that's, that's coming. Well, it's already here in New Mexico. And it's, it's coming um, across our country. It's, they're going to be doing that. They're going to be broadening that in Oregon, Washington State, um, all across our country. 
So, um, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys just heard about this situation that happened, these two Arizona women. Anybody hear about that? It's two women in Arizona. They, um, two women, sisters, uh, both in their 40s, they uh, flew to Switzerland, did not tell anybody in their family they were doing it, uh, flew to Switzerland, and both, neither one of them were ill, neither one of them were sick. They flew with a friend. You had to have a third party. They flew uh, over there and uh, both uh, committed suicide legally for $11,000 each. And uh, their brother, they had one brother, one other sibling, their brother could not find them. He was calling, 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 and uh, finally found out that they had purchased, both purchased tickets and the uh, consulate there finally got a hold of the consulate. The consulate confirmed uh, that they had each paid $11,000 to take their own life. Um, and now he can't even get their bodies back. Can't, nothing. And that's what's, that's what's coming to America. So I, I think that um, these two issues, abortion, euthanasia, are the primary, need to be the primary focus of, of the pro-life movement. It is not wrong for us to be laser-focused on these two issues. Hear me when I say that. Nobody blames the Breast Cancer Research Institute for not also working to cure prostate cancer, right? Nobody's like, well, BCRF, how dare you? You're not working on colon cancer too, right? It is perfectly fine. It is perfectly acceptable for a movement, for a group, for an organization to be laser focused on ending specific things. That is perfectly okay. It is perfectly acceptable. And when we start to focus on too many things, we start to lose focus. And that is unfortunately what happens when we start to wade into this seamless garment issue, which by the way is extremely dangerous to the pro-life movement. When we start uh, wading into um, you know, all these other issues. Look, I'm against the death penalty, but the death penalty is a death penalty issue. It is not a pro-life issue. So, you know, you can be against GMOs, but that's a GMO issue. That's not a pro-life issue. You can be, you know, against, you can be for climate or whatever, but that's a climate issue. That's not a pro-life issue. So we need to be very strategic. We have to be very laser focused and the pro-life movement is laser focused on protecting innocent human life from death, period. The pro-choice movement, completely opposite from that, is not focused on choice at all. They are focused on abortion. So I am not scared to call the pro-choice movement pro-abortion. And I can tell you, uh, 
you know, as of recent, the pro-choice movement is not scared to call themselves pro-abortion. They're very proud of the fact that they are pro-abortion. So, you know, if I was for euthanasia, what would I call myself? Pro-euthanasia, right? Uh, if I was for the death penalty, what would I call myself? Pro-death penalty. So if they are for abortion, then what are they? Pro-abortion. So I think our language matters. Our language has always mattered. And I think particularly right now when language is so uh, crazy and convoluted, like where, you know, we're calling men women, um, I think it's really, really important now more than ever that we call things what they are. And I think it's really important that we call the pro-choice movement what they are, and that is pro-abortion. Okay, so we have time maybe for two very short questions or one medium-sized question, so you can decide where you fit. <laughs> I will give two very short answers, I promise. Go. Thank you for taking the time to come out. Yes, of course. Um, my big question is, when you finally made that one decision to get out of the entire abortion industry, what was the driving factor that led you to make that decision? Because ultimately, there's a lot of people who don't and are still there. And what was the emotion that went behind it? I think really the driving factor was, um, I mean, I knew that I, I mean, a couple things, but the short answer is that I had a really great support system behind me. I had a husband that had always been pro-life. I had amazing parents who were pro-life. I had a really great support system backing me. I had this pro-life organization that I knew was going to support me that, I mean, I don't mean support me like in a financial way. I just mean like supporting me emotionally. I knew that I had an education. I mean, I had a master's degree. I knew that I could be a counselor if I wanted to be, you know, I, um, so I, I sort of had this like backup plan, but I knew that, um, something had to change in my life. Like I knew I could not stay there any longer because for that week, like I saw the abortion on Saturday and I went back to work on Monday. And for that week, I was like, I'm going to change Planned Parenthood. That's what I thought. Like I was like, I'm going to, like I'm high enough here where I'm going to make them not an abortion provider. And that's like literally what I thought. I was like, in this week, I'm going to work here, and I'm going to make them forget about abortion. <laughs> like, that's really what I thought. And so, like, I went back, and I was like, all right, how do I do this? So every day, like, I would go into work, and I was, like, trying to, I'd, like, they'd start talking about abortion. I'd be like, but on other topics, let's talk about something else, you know? And they were like, what? Like, why? Why would we do that, you know? And, um, and I was like, but how can we reduce abortion, you know? And they're just like, what has happened to you, you know? And um, that didn't really work the way I thought it was going to. And um, so then I went through another weekend, and my husband was like, <laughs> like something's wrong with you. Like, you're not going to be able to change them. And so I'd already made a decision I was going to leave, but I was not going to leave until I had another job because my husband was a teacher and didn't make any money. And I made a lot of money. And so I was like, mm, I need to find another job first. And um, 
so but then on that Monday when I went back I was sitting in my office and I was like well it's fine I'm just not going to participate in abortion anymore but then when I went back I was looking out my window and there were all these women like walking out of my clinic with little bags and I knew that was the medication abortion pill in the bag and I was like even if I'm not in the room with them like I'm still participating in abortion I'm still getting paid from abortion my paycheck is still coming from these dead babies like I'm still a part of this system. And that's why I was like, I have to leave. And so I just knew like I could not be a part of it anymore. And so that's when I left and we were like poor for a long time. And, you know, it was fine, but I was happy. And I was like done with that. And that's when like just God really convicted me. Like you cannot compromise with evil. Like when you see evil, the Bible's clear, like you must flee from it. And I had seen evil, and I just knew I had to flee. Hi, thank you uh, for being here. Um, my question is: is in in what this this issue tends to be portrayed as very much a women issue? Yeah. And so, how can young men be able to make an impact in the pro-life community? Yeah, great question. Um, so, uh, you know, you're right that this, this does come across, it, it, it has been seen as a woman's rights issue because that's what radical feminists has made you, that, that's what they have made you believe, that it's a woman's rights issue. But the bottom line is that this is a human rights, human rights issue. And, um, Radical feminism has done, I'm not gonna go into this because this will be a long answer, but um, radical feminism has done such great damage to our society. And one of the greatest um, infractions on that, that has been sort of wheeled against our society because of radical feminism is, uh, is that it has silenced men in many, many ways. And I think the most pervasive damage is that it has told men that when it comes to the life of their children, they are to have no voice and they, they are to sit down and shut up. But that is the exact opposite of what we need men to do. In fact, um, men are the greatest influence in the lives of women in, in whether or not they have abortions. And in fact, I can attest to this. I mean, I go out and, and sidewalk counsel and pray in front of our local abortion facilities in Austin. And I can be out there with, you know, and I've got a, I got a good story to tell on the sidewalk, right? But I can be out there, and then there's this guy named Marty, okay? Marty perpetually needs a haircut. He rides his bike everywhere, and I'm not even kidding. I think he has a car, but I've never seen him in it. He rides a bike with a basket on the back, and on, tied to the basket, like bungee corded to the basket, says, has a sign that says, pregnant, need help, call this number. He's the most faith, one of the most faithful men I know. Marty's great, right? But he's not a looker. Anyway, and you know, I'm out there looking, you know, pretty fly. And 
and Marty, you know? <laughs> and I can reach out to a woman, you know, and Marty's there. Nine times out of ten, she's going to go to Marty. What? But I'll tell you why. Because women having abortions almost always have been greatly failed by men in their lives. And they have been told by men that the decision is up to them, that it's their body, so they have to make the final decision. When all these women really want is a strong man in their life to stand up and say, you don't have to do this. All they really want is that knight in shining armor to ride, around, ride alongside of her and to say, you know what, girl, we got this. <laughs> you know? They want that Ryan Gosling meme. <laughs> That's like, hey, girl, let's have that baby. That's what, <laughs> that's what they want. You know, you know it, you know it, ladies. That's what you want, you know? So, women are longing for strong men to step up and take an active part in their lives. And women are longing for husbands to be the spiritual leaders in their home. They're longing for men to take spiritual authority. I, I think women, I think honestly, our country is longing for men to take their rightful place and, and to step up and lead. And it has been radical feminists that have told them to sit down and shut up. And I think our society is like yearning for like a year of the man <laughs> for men to step up and lead, to step up and use their voices. We need men now more than ever. And so I encourage every, every man in here to take that authority that God has given you, to use that authority, to use your voice. And... Um, and to be the leaders and the protectors and the redeemers that God has made you to be. Thank you guys.